0: Good morning, ECC. It's a pleasure to be here with you this morning. I am Pastor Wiley. Many of you may know me, but for others, I am the church planner for Ruwais. So ECC is planning to plant a church, Lord willing, in the fall in Ruwais. So that gives me one more opportunity today. Um, I want to welcome all of those that are watching online, not only those in Abu Dhabi who are a part of this congregation. There's an entire group of believers, you may not have known this, that tune in every Friday from Ruiz. I want to just take a moment and just say, we love you, we know you're watching, and we know God has good plans for you in Ruiz. And so we just pray His will would be done. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. I just want to say a short prayer and then begin. Oh God, your servant Elijah prayed for you to open the eyes of his friend, to see what human eyes cannot see. I pray for your supernatural light to come to us today, not just in words that reach our ears, but in words that reach our hearts. Change us as we see you today, God. Bless this time. Bless the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart, and may you be lifted up, Jesus. In your name I pray, amen. You know, if you've seen any movies about World War I or World War II, you always see these trenches, these dug-out places where men would be stuck behind these things, you know, and and they would sometimes sleep there and live there for months, even years at a time. And these these trenches were very discouraging places. They knew the task that they had was necessary. But while they were there, one of the greatest enemies that these soldiers had was just being discouraged. And it's interesting that one of the things they discovered throughout the time in these wars is that one of the most important things they could do for these soldiers was to provide them with communication from their families. And so they would get letters, or they would get photographs, or they would get little presents. And as they're sitting in these trenches trying to just, striving to just not be discouraged and fearing for their life, they would see the photograph of the girl they loved or their parents. Or they'd be reminded in a letter of everything that was going on in the place they came from. And do you know, even though those photographs and those letters weren't shooting bullets at the enemy, they were strengthening the soldiers. And God does the same thing. All throughout the book of Zechariah, God is sending messages. He's sending messages to His people who are weary and tired and discouraged. And though He doesn't jump in and immediately change and fix every problem they have, His words to them are coming like images, like pictures, like photographs that are communicating things. And today, we're going to be in a photograph, in a a series of images in this in this passage in Zechariah and so I want to just repeat to you this series is from the book of Zechariah it's called the return of the king and I want to paint a little bit of a picture of what was going on in Israel in hopes that maybe it would uh, make more sense of this vision So let me set the stage. The Israelites had been exiled servants of the nation of Babylon and later Persia. They were finally allowed to go home to Jerusalem, their holy, beloved, once glorious capital city, and it was in bad shape. Their temple had been destroyed. It was a hard place to live in. And because of this, many of the Jewish people who were commanded by God to return didn't return. They actually chose to stay in Babylon. They chose to stay in Persia. It's a little bit like the children from my, my son's football or soccer team that they have here in Abu Dhabi. When my son said, Oh, we're going to live in Ruas, the, ch- the children looked at him and said, Why would they do that? Isn't Abu Dhabi a much better place to live? And this kind of reasoning is it's normal. We think, What is the most comfortable? What is the most safe? What is the easiest? And so as this scene is set, we begin to understand how difficult it was for them. They were, many of them, not returning. And those who had come back to live in Jerusalem, who were rebuilding the temple, trying to restore their nation, it was slow. It didn't happen quick. And they saw around them, everything they saw around them discouraged them. They looked at the broken walls of the city. And it must have been a reminder every time they looked of the sin that they had committed that caused the judgment to fall on them. It it felt weak. It felt totally unsafe. It was broken. And the temple that they called a temple really at this time was like a slab with an altar on top of it. Can you imagine going from the glory of Solomon's temple? To a slab with an altar on top of it? Not only that, they had come from these, town, these great cities of Babylon and these cities in Persia with temples so big, they filled up blocks of a city, you know? And they're looking at a slab. I mean, this is the kind of life. They were like soldiers in a trench. And it was hard and it was discouraging. And God is sending them, the prophet Zechariah, and He's again and again showing them, Lick, lift up your eyes and see. That's how this very passage begins. Lift up your eyes and see. And that's what I want to share with you this morning. Three of, those, three of those photographs, those images that God is sending in this passage today. So let's read the passage and we'll take it piece by piece. Zechariah chapter 6, verses 1-8. through eight. Again, I lifted up my eyes and saw. And behold, four chariots came out. From between two mountains. The mountains were mountains of bronze. The first chariot had red horses, the second, black horses, the third, white horses, and the fourth chariot, dappled horses, all of them strong. Then I answered and said to the angel who walked with me, who talked with me, What are these, my Lord? And the angel answered and said to me, These are going out to the four winds of heaven after presenting themselves before the Lord of all the earth. The chariot with the black horses goes toward the north country, and the white ones go after them, and the dappled ones go toward the south country. When the strong horses came out, they were impatient to go and patrol the earth, and he said, go, patrol the earth. So they patrolled the earth. Then he cried to me, Behold, those who go toward the north country have set my spirit at rest in the north country. So what are these images that are sent to us? Well, the first one is going to occur in verses 1 to 3. And it's going to be a photograph of a mighty army. And under it it's going to read Behold the might of God. Behold the might of God. I want you to pay attention to the details of this text. What did Zacharias see? He saw four chariots. What is a chariot? Everyone knows it's a wheeled cart pulled by horses. And these were extremely lethal weapons. There was nothing people feared more than to see these massive chariots. And they would build them with iron or bronze big axles to run over their enemies but they were also quick sometimes they could travel fast they'd move from place to place they were the best military equipment that existed at the time and the better the chariot was it was a good thing but the better the horses were it was even better Why? Because the strength of the horse carried this chariot. And what does the text say very clearly in verse 3? No matter what color these horses are, all of them are strong. And what are these horses? Well, we learn in just a few verses, you read with me, that they come out from between bronze mountains, right? And, And we learn that is where the presence of God is in this vision. So these aren't bad guys, these are the good guys come to do God's will. And it's interesting that some scholars see these mountains, pay attention to them. They're not iron, they're bronze. Now why would that be significant? Did you know that in the original temple that God designed, there were huge bronze wash basins on both sides of the entrance to the temple? But here they're not little wash basins, here they're mountains. And it's as if God is communicating to the people, your little town, yeah, it's weak and it's broken. Even when it was at its best was a basin. Mine are mountains. I'm strong. My horses are strong. My armies are strong. And though you're weak and discouraged, remember, hold this in front of you. Remember your God. And it's not only for the Israelite, obviously, that these things apply. When we begin to think about our strength, our significance, our battles, spiritually our families our churches I don't know about you but you don't think a whole lot about the mightiness of a church right it's not like you think of a fortress or a tank right but the God behind us the invisible God behind us is amazing now I want you to pay attention to my words here I didn't choose to say the power of God I chose might and there's a reason for that in English. Might has a little different significance than power. Power is something you can count. Your cell phone has 87% might. No, it has 87% power. But might symbols signify something sometimes more general, but it can mean quality. So think about the high quality. That's what I want you to see. That God's things are high quality while Israel sits in ruins. And He says, don't worry, I'm behind you. I'm here and I'm defending each and every one of you. And this should have been a huge, huge comfort. And we're weak, as I said before. But here's the the message, the, the beautiful message of this. This is not an accident. Their weakness in God's strength is not an accident. As a matter of fact, in the Bible, God likes weak things. Why does God like weak things? Think about God liking weak things. God picks fishermen to be leaders of a movement that will change the world. I don't know about you, I wouldn't probably pick a fisherman. Would he make it through the interview process for ECC? Just think about this. This is who God picks. And, And it's funny, he forms these people. He picks shepherds to be kings. Do you really understand that? We read these stories, but do you really grasp that? A shepherd into a king. It's amazing. He picks a nation of Hebrew slaves to be his people on the earth. That's just, that's amazing. He likes weakness. He likes it so much that when he himself comes to the earth, he doesn't come with trumpets and fireworks, he comes in a stable. And he's born in a trough that you feed animals in because he likes weakness. And if you just understand how it works, it it helps you a little. You see, just one little story will help. When you think about David and Goliath, David is, you know, close to three meters, I mean, Goliath is close to three meters tall in the Bible. Can you imagine if David had been three and a half meters tall? You read the story and David's three and a half meters tall and you go, ah, that'll teach him. We got someone bigger and stronger, right? David is so great. But that's not the story. The story is the guy who's under two meters, who's a shepherd with a sling. And when he finishes, he said, when I kill you, you will know that there is a God in Israel. You see, God picks the weak. He picks the church. He chooses because it brings him glory and it shows his might in a greater way. Don't run from your weaknesses. God made you the way you are. And you're going to be filled with all kinds of problems and issues. But in your weakness, God has a chance to show His greatness. And in the church, it's the same way. Things aren't as they seem. Sometimes in the church, we feel unimportant. We're not on the TV or the news. People don't line up in the millions in Abu Dhabi to come to church here. The church is limited by money. We're restricted with coronavirus. Sometimes there's fighting within the same building and you would think if there's a mighty God why is it so weak but it's by design God is going to show his glory in a way through a weak vessel that he couldn't you and I are jars of clay but let the Lord pour his glory into you and he will be what he pictures here he's mighty he'll be that for you the second image that moves in this passage comes in verses 4 to 7 verses 4 to 7 it says then i answered and said to the angel who talked with me what are these my lord the angel answers and said to me these are going out to the four winds of heaven after presenting themselves before the lord of all uh, of all the earth The chariot with the black horses goes toward the north country. The white ones go after them. The dappled ones go toward the south country. When the strong horses came out, they were impatient to go and patrol the earth. And he said, go, patrol the earth. So they patrolled the earth. The second postcard image coming to Israel, it's a picture of a king sitting on a throne with his robe filling the temple. And he's in control. And under it, it says, God is sovereign. Behold the sovereign God. Now, how do I get that from this image? I want to tell you that there are four details in this text that show this king on this throne. The first is, if you pay attention, these chariots don't just make a decision. You know, I think I'm going to go to the north. Where are you going to go? You're going to say, okay, that's a great idea. They don't do that. They come from presenting themselves before the Lord. In other words, they're getting orders. They don't do their will, they do His will. And how do they carry that out? Well, we see a couple of them going to the north, these chariots. One goes to the south. It doesn't mention what happened to the fourth one. Maybe he stayed back in reserves or something. But the idea is this. We know where Israel's enemies come from. Babylon and Persia came from the north. And they were the conquerors. They were the most recent enemies of Israel. Before them, from the south, came Egypt. But here's the point. Don't get lost in the details. Here's the point. They're not making a decision how they carry out the orders. God's telling them what to do. He tells them what to do. He tells them how to do it. Thirdly, He's the Lord of all the earth. Now pay attention. That means not this little city in Jerusalem only. He's the God of everywhere. It says they go out to the four winds of heaven. The the same word for wind, ruah, is the word that also means spirit. And the idea here is that they're going like four points on a compass. They go anywhere they want to. Because God is not just God of Israel, He's a God of all the the earth. And so His sovereign rule, His orders are obeyed. They're obeyed how God wants, and they're obeyed where God wants. But lastly, they're obeyed when God wants. It says that the horses come out, and they're impatient. Pay attention to the detail. They're impatient. They want to go, the chariots and the horse, but they will not move until the Lord says, Go. And the, the image you're getting in this is God is in control, Israel. That's the point. He's in control, He's sovereign. Look up and see your sovereign God. Did you know that God chooses? He chooses how things turn out. He chose to make the world. Did He have to do that? Did God, was God forced to make the world? No, He chose out of His own will to make the world. He put a tree of knowledge and good and evil in the Garden of Eden. Did He have to do that? Did He not know what was going to happen? Of course He knew. He chose. He chose. God chose for Job to lose ten children, everything he owned, and his health. And you say to me, Pastor Wiley, wasn't that the devil? I've read the story, wasn't that the devil? Read the story again. God has to say, yes, I give you permission to do that. Peter is standing before Jesus, I'll never deny you. And Jesus looks back at him and he says, Satan has asked to sift you like wheat. You ever think of that? Who did Satan ask? It's supposed to bring your mind back to this Job figure again. You see, God's in control of every hair on your head, every temptation, every situation you're in. Why did Jesus pray, lead me not into temptation? It's because God can lead us, not into temptation. And the Israel that's sitting here is one that's weak and broken and it doesn't need to have to figure everything out. It needs to stop and trust in a sovereign God. That's the message. God is in control. And that should be a great comfort. As we read at the beginning today, our God is in the heavens and He does all that He pleases, right? He does what He pleases. So we should trust Him and worship Him. You know, one of the interesting things is that there's a missiologist. That's the guy who studies how to do missions. And he talks about a problem that happens all over the world as the church spreads. He calls it the excluded middle. The problem of the excluded middle. And what he means by that is that when missionaries would go and pastors would go and they'd start churches in places where they never had existed, they would come in and they would teach people basically... God is important in the birth. He's really important because you die, you want to go to heaven. But there was this excluded middle. Like, what does God do in the real life every day? And so what you ended up getting was these peoples that they were all about showing up with their children and having them dedicated. They were all about uh, having funerals and saying, God, send me to heaven. But in the middle, they go to the witch doctor. Because they can't grasp how God actually affects the real world. And this is what this vision is telling Israel. You don't need a witch doctor. You don't need to run to other things outside. You need to relax. You need to trust. You need to seek God. Ask, seek, knock, pray. God is listening. And when He gives the command, everything can change. Trust. He's got a plan. He's all wise. And so we see the first first, First photograph is the might of God. Behold the might of God. And it's these armies. And we see the second photograph, which is a king on a throne. And it says, Behold the sovereignty of God. And here comes to these soldiers in the trench the climax of the story, which is in verse 8. And it's a photograph of the cross. Listen, and I'll explain. It says here, Then He cried to me, Behold, those who go toward the north country have set my spirit at rest in the north country. Now pay attention. I'm going to stop just a second. I want you to hear this. Notice the change in the beginning of verse 8. Then he cried. Then he cried. Not cried with tears. He proclaimed with a loud voice. It's as if we're reaching the climax of the song. And the angel, I picture him in my mind, three to five meters away. And he's looking at Zechariah and he's saying, here's the point. Listen, I send them to put my spirit at rest in the north country. And it ends. You say, what does that even mean? Well, I think it means two things. It means at least two things. The first is that Israel would have been asking a question. Oh God, our walls are broken, our cities destroyed. They were evil men that did this. And you let them do that to us? Bring justice. And God is angry at sin. This is something we all are. Tell me when you don't see something really bad done, it doesn't make you angry. When you see a child mistreated, when you see abuse, when you see evil things happen, don't you get angry? You should get angry. And God is angry at sin. And these men were evil. What they did to Israel was evil. And his anger is like a stirred up hurricane floating over Babylon. And he's saying, I've sent them out to finish it. It's going to end. I'm going to judge them. And this should have given peace. I'm going to set everything right. Listen, if you have been mistreated or abused or suffered, listen, either that person comes to Jesus or they will pay. There is no escaping God. And that should be a comfort to the people who've suffered the worst. God is always just. And we can count on that. But this evilness that they had, it wasn't just their idea, we learn in the Bible. The Bible says that God put a hook in the nose of Babylon and He drugged them to attack Israel. Yes. You know what that means? That though they really wanted to attack Israel, it was God bringing them to do it. Both things, God's sovereign plan, their decision to attack are happening at the same moment. And so, as God is bringing him and judgment on Israel, He's also condemning them because they chose freely to do evil. Let me give you a few examples to make sense of this. At the cross, if you read the Bible very clearly, it says that the Romans, the Jewish leaders... They put Jesus to death, correct? But if you read the Bible, it says it was by God's predestined plan. Do you know what that means? They wanted to crucify Jesus, but God had to say, yes, I give you permission to do that. That's my plan. It's going to happen my way. And when you begin to think about how this works out, Joseph's brothers, they did evil to Joseph. But Joseph looks him in the face and he says, you know, all the evil that you did to me, God intended it for good. God intended it for good. And so, while God is intending and choosing and drawing Babylon, they're freely doing it, and His brothers are freely doing it, and the Romans are freely doing it, and the two are coming together, and God is saying, you are my instrument, but you'll be punished for what you did too. That's a strange thought. That's a very biblical thought. And they were so proud of themselves for what they had did that in the book of Isaiah, verse t- chapter 10 and verse 15, God has to rebuke them. And this is what he says. Shall the axe boast over him who hews with it? Or shall so, or the saw magnify itself against him who wields it? You know what God is saying? I swung you at my people. And you're going to brag about attacking them? You were my instrument. Don't boast. And so... The judgment comes, but we see a second thing happening. It was God who had brought them. And so Israel had to have lived in some kind of anxiety. Are we keeping the law? Are we we doing right at living in fear? Because they obviously were sinning. We've seen this in the book of Zechariah. And the second way that he sends his spirit to rest in the north country, it's as if God is saying, they won't attack you anymore. I'm going to put them to rest. They're going to give you peace. You're going to be able to build this temple. I've paid for everything. It's finished. The work is done. Spirit is at rest. I'm not going to bring them to attack you anymore. You're safe. Build your city. And dear dear ones, hear what I'm about to tell you. This is the gospel. This is the gospel. Don't be confused. I want to explain it, but hear what I'm about to tell you. God saved Israel from God. Did you hear what I just said? God saved Israel from God. And you say, Pastor Wiley, is is that right? Let me ask you a question. In the flood of Noah, who did God save Noah from? Who was the one who flooded the earth? God. And who saved Noah? God. And in the Passover, when they're all sitting around sacrificing a lamb and they have to cover their doors, who did God save them from? God. And when you stare at the cross of Jesus Christ and you watch Him being beat and punished and nailed and whipped and stuck on the cross, do you know God saved you from God on the cross? He said, it's finished. I've put your sins to rest. No more. Peace. And we so often live in guilt and shame of our past. and We don't understand what Jesus has done. The wrath of God hovers over the cross like a fire. Just ready to consume. And Jesus' death puts it all out. Finished. And God's love and grace are saving. But that just doesn't happen automatically, does it? It's not like Jesus dying on the cross just randomly, automatically does stuff. No, the Bible clearly says God's, Jesus' death on the cross is effective, but it's like this. Listen, He gives us the command. You've got to turn away from your sins and you've got to trust in me. I lived with my family for about five years working in the Amazon basin. Listen to this, kids. You'll really like this story. Amazon indigenous tribes are really cool. Okay, kids? You'd really like them. So there's like monkeys going around and birds with feathers. Really neat. My kids grew up with some of that. But one of the things you learn is that they don't sleep in a bed like we do. They actually tie up hammocks. And a hammock, if you've never seen one, it's like a swing, think of a swing that's like a, like a cloth or stretchy kind of swing, but it's the size of a bed, and it's tied on both ends, and the person can lay down and they go to sleep. And I began to hang around with these guys, and one of the common jokes they play on each other is that they, when the other guy's not looking, they go and untie his hammock, and they retie it with just a little knot, right? So then he goes to lay in the hammock, and what happens? Boom, right? crash to the ground. It was such a common thing amongst indigenous tribes that when the Bible translators we worked around actually translated the Bible, do you know which word they used to translate the word trust? They used the word, and this was common in indigenous language, do you tie into God? I think it's a beautiful illustration of what I mean by believing in Jesus. If there was a hammock Hanging over the pit of hell. Would you like to be the one with your good works, tying the knots? Would you like your good works to make it up so that when you sit in it, you fall flat through? Jesus is saying, I have done it. Mine is perfect. My knots are perfect. can't be any more beautiful. It's safe. Lay in it. Trust it. Believe it. Come to it. That is the gospel. Behold the might of God compounded by the sovereignty of God accomplishing the saving work of God. That is the Gospel. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we thank You so much for this day. We thank You for this beautiful series of photographs that we have that lead us to the cross, that leads us to Your great work. God, we know that You're going to one day return Make our hearts soft. Show us things, Lord. Draw us to who You are. We thank You for Jesus' death on the cross. We thank You that You call us to repentance so that we can have life. I pray today as some people may in this room even be struggling to trust in Jesus. Something is holding them back. Lord, would You move Help them to lay in you trust in your work. We thank you for this beautiful, beautiful passage. May it go with us and encourage us to build your kingdom, to do your work. In Jesus' mighty name we pray, amen.